Hi there and welcome to BGP Connects. Um, my name is Lucy McGowan-Scanlon and I've been working as the Head of Pop-Ups for Bruce Gilliam Pollard um, over the course of the last year. Um, and I'm here with Thea Rowe, who works for our tenant rep service. We're really lucky to meet with TFL and have a conversation with them around um, the, the current trend of pop-ups, something that um, we at BGP have been um, working on within our business over the last year and looking to develop. And I know that it's something you've probably also been asked more about from a tenant rep point of view as well. We're seeing both tenants and landlords starting to engage with these more flexible rent terms. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really interesting, I suppose, particularly with everything that's gone on with with COVID, hasn't it? That people want that platform to test out their concepts. And whereas before, I suppose, landlords are probably more adverse to, to, to delving into the pop-up side of things they're they're there now aren't they to do to do more and, and help be more of the independence and, and ultimately help them grow into more long-term spaces yeah absolutely and I think it's so interesting when we first started doing the pop-up piece you know we used to talk about the reason for it purely being you know to create something exciting in a, in a in a space and actually we didn't really think about some of the other benefits to it it was purely just you know, something a bit different that people would walk on a scheme and see and get excited by. But actually, um, it's it's become so prevalent in the last year for filling those vacant units that have been suddenly left overnight. Mm. But on the, um, you know, kind of to that point, it's really been about bringing tenants in, allowing them to test that market. And quite often those have quickly converted to long-term leases where the pop-up's been a real success and, and they've had the flexibility to, test it in a short amount of time without having to commit to you know a long-term lease um so that's been really exciting and then we've also seen kind of you know we talk a bit with Laura in this um in this section about a kind of the incubator and the placemaking and you know incubator is very much kind of turning tenants around to keep that scheme exciting and keep bringing the football back football back to see something new and, and then the placemaking piece where it really is about enabling new and emerging brands to trial the space with the view to get them in on long term and I think the other really interesting thing about the product piece is it's um it's bringing us a lot of really interesting new brands a lot of the the people we see engaging with kind of the pop-up activation are new and emerging brands or brands that currently are only on digital platform mm-hmm. um so it's bringing some real new entrants to the market yeah and because some of the brands that you kind of dealt with and um you know with TFL but with across some of the rest of our estate they they really only want that sort of few months sort of setup don't they and then it gives them time to take stock and and go back and, and have a think properly about their business before before then starting to think about other things going forward yeah absolutely yeah we're seeing um yeah we're seeing a lot of kind of yeah one month two month activations we're seeing a lot of kind of um, six month one year activations one year activations have been really popular in the respect of it gives tenants um, a full year's picture so they yeah. kind of see all of the kind of trading troughs and peaks so to speak um, and I think also just like it's really interesting the diversity of some of the pop-ups we're seeing you know everything from um, we're currently working on a concept at the moment this bar concept and it's themed and every room will be slightly different and and, you know, historically, we think those sorts of concepts wouldn't be able to do it with regard to the amount of capital contribution required. Mm. But actually, people are finding ways to adapt and be able to do these things 
uh, turn these things around one more quickly but two also um you know more co- more cost effectively um mm. so the range of things we're seeing in, in the pop-up world is really interesting from bar pop-ups food pop-ups fashion and lifestyle concept stores digital marketing stores um it's really exciting yeah I think actually probably what's been you know clearly retail's been pretty badly hit over the last 18 24 months but like you say this kind of um these brands rather that have um come from online platforms and they're starting to that you know they've clearly done really well over lockdown because they didn't have any sort of running costs that they had to think about and people were still buying online and now they're kind of yeah coming in and, and helping to boost that kind of retail market I suppose yeah absolutely and I think it's um you know it it comes back to the question of, you know, people talk about the high street being dead, but actually I don't think that is the case. I think there's a really mm. nice synergy between that digital piece and the bricks and mortar piece. Mm. Um, we, we're speaking to a lot of potential tenants who they're pure, they purely do pop-ups just for a brand awareness activation. So it's not necessarily about driving revenue out of that unit at that time. Mm. It's just about, they see the halo effect in being there and, you know, be presenting themselves to a wider audience, which then means that, people think about them when they come to buy online next time yeah I mean and then there's obviously that the obvious people like um Glossier or um you know these big online brands that they I don't believe that they hadn't ever planned to really have a full um take a full lease ever but the 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 demand that they had when they opened in Covent Garden kind of given them that um knowledge that they can do that they do have they do have the um the, the capacity to be able to run something from a physical bricks and mortar store um, and that's kind of echoed it for other brands as well hasn't it yeah absolutely yeah no I know we've I know we kind of just mentioned that, that those guys that just kind of do the digital marketing mm. brand awareness piece but I think yeah the majority it is that it's um it's almost like uh they don't believe they can ever make it work and actually you know I um spoken to some brands recently there's a brand on Carnaby Street at the moment called Nobody's Child and I think their success has been infinitely better than what they ever could have imagined or or um you know forecasted for um and I think that's a really nice thing on the tenant side of it to do that and to kind of um you know get a bit of tenant tenant confidence as we say. So you went and met with um TFL yeah so um we're really lucky to get to speak with TFL on the um public thing because look whilst we kind of talk about it's been a trend that's been around for kind of the last few years but I guess COVID has really expediated that process and it's mm. kind of suddenly really taken off um TFL are a client of ours we work with them on Wood Lane Arches um but I guess it's interesting speaking to them because actually they're ahead of the curve in the respect that they've been doing this for a long time and um, you know, it's really interesting hearing their views on it because one of the things you hear us particularly ask them about in the podcast, which I think is a really important question on the topic, is is there longevity in it? Um, mm. And actually, it's really interesting to get the perspective from someone who who's actually been doing this for a long time and has quite a lot of experience with it and has seen how it's evolved. Um, and they talk a lot about you know both pop ups they've done, um, pop ups they've seen that have been really interesting, but also you know, retail as a whole and how that short-term piece will feed into the retail landscape moving forward. Yeah, so we were really lucky to be able to speak with Laura and Tom. Um, it was an incredibly insightful conversation and um, just really great to get their views and, you know, hear it from a different point of view. 
Um, hi Laura, hi Tom, and um, thanks very much for agreeing to join us on BGP Connects, our new um, podcast. It's really great to talk to you both. I'm um, just before we get started, we're obviously covering the topic of pop-ups this morning, um, but before we do that, it'd be really great to introduce you both. So Laura, I know we currently work with you, you're our client, and we currently work with you on Wood Lane Arches, but if you could give a brief intro to yourself and kind of what you do for TFL, that would be great. Sure. Uh, morning. So I'm Laura Fernie. I'm a senior commercial asset manager at TFL. Uh, I work on a variety of projects where we're trying to look at exciting new revenue streams or driving more money out of the current commercial estate, be it through development or refurbishments or um, uh, existing assets like arches, etc. Uh, and as you say, uh, currently working with you at Wood Lane, uh, where we are actually looking at sort of traditional retail lettings and pop-ups. Perfect. And Tom, over to you. Hi, Lucy. I'm Tom Atkinson, and I work in Transport for London's property teams as customer performance manager. So the small team I am in have a broad remit looking at our customer experience and how we can deliver our strategic ambitions through that experience. So that means we look at everything from measurement and our customer satisfaction programs through to supporting our placemaking activities, place insights, and working directly with our customers, be it our marketing campaigns or business development. Perfect, thanks for that. So I think, you know, talking on the, um, on the topic of pop-ups, I think, it's really important to kind of address the current retail landscape and I think it kind of goes without saying that we all know that's been changing quite drastically for the last few years um, and I think we're definitely really aware that Covid has um, somewhat expediated that process and I think what's really interesting um, getting you as TfL to speak to us is that you are obviously in some really you have some ma- really major retail um yeah so I think I saw somewhere that you see um, 1.9 billion in footfall through all your major locations annually so it's obviously a lot of people and a lot of retail engagement um so I think the first thing it would be really good to kind of understand how have the changes to the leisure and retail landscape affected your business and maybe both pre-COVID but also COVID obviously through the COVID period? I, I think you're right to say it Lucy that actually changes have been happening over a number of years now um, and the way the traditional high street actually works obviously way before COVID happened and obviously COVID is going on for far longer than any of us would have hoped uh, yeah. but It is a temporary thing, but we are seeing a new norm, aren't we, where, you know, the high street is changing. We've got the generational shifts. We've got the digital era. We've got the ability to buy everything online. So really the shift in retail is is about its convenience, its personalization and and very much sort of localism. And you're right, you know, our our major stations and footfall locations uh, are great importance to that but also our assets in the, are in the heart of communities uh, you know our stations uh, are, are there so we've actually got the ability to adapt to be part of uh, our customers neighborhoods uh, so we can then actually give them what they they need which is at the moment convenience um, and you know nice experiences and food and drink etc yeah absolutely we've we've definitely spoken at bgp we kind of every year try to look at the major changes and 
I think one of the things we've really identified this year is the shift to localism, but you also pick up on the personalization piece. It's very topical at the moment, the whole piece around, you know, retail is not just retail anymore. Essentially, there needs to be an experiential element. So, yeah, it's interesting. And Tom, from you, kind of what are the changes you've seen? What do you what are kind of the major things that you're having to adapt to within the business? I think completely agree with Laura. As you said, there are much longer term trends at play here than just COVID. And that long term trend has been for more high street units to be closing than opening over the past kind of decade. And that impact is more profound in cities, especially in London and where obviously we struggled with COVID and that impact more than perhaps provincial centres, villages, towns, some of the more villagey parts of London. And for TfL, we've got a blend of those in-station units where there is that massive footfall that has now for a year disappeared. We've got arches, offices, high street units. So there's a mixed impact, but still profound. And it's been a huge impact on us. But actually our... Uh, look at the property industry our look ahead started some years ago as well so we've had customer strategies in place that talk about experience talk about this sense of partnership um, with our customers for the past five years now so that predates COVID and that's something that we've continued through COVID and if anything we've made stronger and stronger so whilst there are massive negative impacts through the decline of the high street the challenge of digital especially covid there are also opportunities for landlords that are looking to change that are trying to get ahead of the curve that want to work more closely with their customers more closely with their communities and that's something that we've been trying to do through the pandemic be it through getting to know our customers more be it through the kind of quite blunt instrument of financial support that we've used to keep our customers on their feet and now to recover so whilst there are certainly uh strong headwinds we've got this opportunity to reset and that's what we're planning to do yeah i think i think you've made some really interesting points there i think um you know we're definitely seeing and like you say i think one of the things i really enjoy working with laura is that focus on kind of yeah engaging with the community what do the people in those areas we're working on need we're we're working at the moment with a lot of kind of new and emerging businesses and I guess the thing we're really seeing is that for those businesses they have opportunities that maybe wouldn't have been available to them previously so you know I think we're seeing a lot at the moment of the traditional leases changing those kind of 10-15 year contracts with a set base rent Um, We're moving to a lot more kind of flexible models, turnover models, um, and that's really kind of opening up opportunities to to more businesses. And it means I think we go back to our point earlier. It's kind of it's bringing back the opportunity for local businesses and and more localism in the community. And I think the pop up piece is really integral to that in that it allows those businesses to essentially trial different markets to go into different locations, see how the consumer interacts with them and do that in a period that then enables them to understand whether the longer term piece works. So I guess just, it would be interesting to hear from you both from a landlord kind of asset management perspective, what, what makes you open to offering the pop-up and the short-term opportunities? 
We absolutely love exploring new concepts and ventures and working with passionate retailers. And, you know, you and Tom have sort of already alluded to that. And, you know, actually on our estate, we it's made up of 93% on the retail estate of SMEs, uh, which is, is, is extraordinary, really. Um, and our estate offers really unique opportunities for them to trial those businesses, be it, you know, the mobile trading areas outside of the stations or the kiosks within or the, um, you know, the retail units we've already got on the high street or even uh, the arches. So we've got some really exciting opportunities for them as well to go into, uh, which also have clear benefits to our customer base um, who are actually using those tenants. So it, it's opportunistic for the tenants which is fantastic because it gives them a, um, a platform. And you, you said it just a moment ago. Uh, it's about also giving them that time to trial their concept uh, and see if it does or doesn't work and if it needs to evolve. Uh, but similarly, it gives us the opportunity to test sort of new markets, new ideas, uh, whetting the public's appetite for new concepts and seeing, you know, if these businesses can actually turn into more permanent uh, solutions on the estate or customers of the estate and also spread elsewhere because you know why would we limit a tenant to just one location if it's a great success you know and if they're wanting to grow uh, our estate offers wonderful opportunities in that sense. Absolutely I think I think this pop-up structure enables them to start in a position where like you say it is then a growth process it's actually not, they, they're not kind of launching themselves into something with their kind of projections of, will this work? We've gone through the process to understand, but now we've got to see and we've committed to this long time scale. Like you say, it enables them to really test the process and engage with their audiences and um, start from a, a, a kind of smaller um, base that then, that then will give them the knowledge to understand how they then go into these longer leases and how it works and and the locations in which it works so yeah I think it's um it's really the growth piece is really interesting and I think probably for us there's yeah maybe maybe three more things as well one we know it works so we've seen this on our estate already so we've been working with Ross Bailey and appear here for some years and it was in 2014 that we launched Old Street um, with Ross and that was a massive success. So you had brands like Netflix coming through, you had um, Jamie Oliver opening restaurant pop-ups, you had experiential retail programming events, you had new businesses being launched, you had big brands popping up in the locations they wanted to without having to buy big space on longer term uh, on a longer term basis. So we know that it works. It also helps us meet what we see our job in London as doing, which is we have this strategy to be commercially astute and socially useful. And for us, pop-ups can help us meet that because it adds vibrancy to our places. Uh, it helps us better serve our local communities. It massively reduces the barriers to new entrants to the property market, to new businesses, especially from underrepresented groups. And it helps us to make the most of our assets and the most of our spaces by approaching it as more of a platform or media almost than real estate, where we can sell that space multiple times. But that's a win-win because the business only has to pay for what they want. 
and we can have many more businesses coming through almost as uh, we're approaching our kind of advertising um, estate as well. And then the kind of third thing is it helps meet some of those trends that Laura was speaking about um, earlier, where we know that younger generations shop differently. So pop-up, experiential pop-up is going to be massively more appealing to them um, than some of the kind of maybe businesses that can commit to a longer term use. So the digital native brands you see um people like souk getting depop in and small kind of brands that you wouldn't know if you weren't on instagram they might not even have a website but they can pop up and they can give you a two-hour queue outside your property and for the high street that's massive Mm -hmm. so it also helps us to meet a lot of these these trends yeah souk is a really um they're a really interesting case study actually they've done some really interesting things but i think that um you touched on some something that we're seeing a lot of there it's um the pop-up piece does seem to attract a lot of the um brands that currently only operate on a digital platform and exactly that it's like they're so successful on a digital platform I guess the question before was why do they need to move into bricks and mortar but actually to your point there's a massive marketing piece there and we're seeing a lot of people you know I think it's really interesting because when we started um, the pop-up business, it started out of the pandemic. And a lot of that was about filling empty space, spaces that have been left vacant overnight, but also kind of creating solutions for our clients. Um, And it's evolved to be really interesting. Yes, there's a piece around um, filling vacant units, rates mitigation, which is obviously really topical at the moment. And, and you know, a really difficult thing in the industry um but it's kind of also evolved to be on the point of you know it kind of brings me on to my next question but I think we're seeing it evolve to be um not just something that is problem or solution to problems but also it's becoming a permanent trend in that it's evolving to be we call it either placemaking or incubating so Placemaking pop-ups is, as we've spoken about, tenants who go in and they test the waters to understand if, um, you know, they they appeal to that consumer market, whether they're engaging with them and, and they have the potential to be successful, or what we call incubating, which is where actually we now utilise a unit to do pop-ups on a long-term basis, because that tells our the consumer demographic around we want you to return again and again and again because there will always be something new to see here. Um, and it's really about utilising that space to keep creating something that's really exciting and gives them something new to see. So I guess, um, yeah, from your point of view, do you see pop-ups as a, as a short-term solution or a long-term solution set to stay? Well, I, I very much hope a, a long-term. As, as Tom's already said, we, we've been working with pop-ups for for years now uh, we know how successful they are and what a difference they can make uh, and I completely agree with your you know your key words uh, you know place making an incubator uh, take for example Wood Lane in phase one we've got at the moment 11 arches down there and that is uh, a mix of sort of longer term leases but we've also white box some units so that they are ready uh, for plug and play effectively and doing pop-ups and it's so that we can then trial uh, tenants we can give them that platform so that they uh, they can see and test their concepts 
Uh, it helps with our placemaking. It activates the space and it, you know, it all becomes experiential. And it, it, I think very much that, that pop-up operators work hand in hand with more traditional operators and with, you know, the landlords. And you know, it's this keyword of partnership all the way through. Everyone is in it together. All tenants are working together. And it's not about direct competition. Uh, it's about a healthy competition so that everyone is there working together to make a, a location a success. And I think, Lucy, when you talk about people wanting lots of different things, that kind of new ideas, new experiences from their high street or from real estate, from the public realm, um, that's something that actually, when you look at it kind of objectively, it's quite hard to deliver from a set of maybe 20 properties a mix of retail and F&B, each one with one business on a five-year lease, and they're there for five years, and they might be able to change it up. They might do some events and programming, change their menu, launch some new products. But fundamentally, you've got one thing in one property for five years, and they can change it up, but it has to be a pretty special, very carefully curated, which hopefully we're very good at, set <laughs> of uses to get people to come back again and again. Then it has to be structured around convenience in their everyday life. Um, so that means you're starting to miss out on some of the needs of the community, just naturally. It means that you've set, uh, you've, uh, you've curated a plan that is probably set by the dominant group in an area that might miss out on some of those underrepresented groups. It means that it might be set on... Um, dwell time and spend which means it might be clustered we know owning a, a transport estate it might be clustered around the am peak and the pm peak you might be missing out on a whole swathe of people who are there during the day um and it might mean that you start getting kind of cornered into <clears throat> setting an approach around the am peak the pm peak now how do you unlock that how do you unlock the rest of the day you either find some very creative innovative um, operators. I think about people like um, over under coffee on our estate, you can flip from a coffee shop to a cocktail um, bar. You think about things like Mare Street Market, where they can, it can be co-working, it can be a barber's, it can be whatever. Bike shed on our estate in the arches as well is a barber shop. It is an event space. It is a bar. It is a restaurant. It's a bike showroom. It's retail. It can do all of those things. But these are pretty special businesses. So in order to unlock the rest of the day, pop-ups where it's not just even a business for a day, it's a business for an hour, it's a business for an hour or two, something else mid-morning, it's something else in the afternoon. That's kind of where we're starting to get to. And that's going to need tech. It's going to need innovation. But the property industry is ready for that. Um, and it's almost this natural kind of end point of this drive to shorter and shorter leases more and more flexibility which creates higher risk massively higher risk but there's much higher reward and that sense of partnership it's almost the truest expression of that partnership between landlord and tenant because there's probably a lot more work up front by the landlord we're going to have to have these spaces ready as laura said plug and play on a one-day letting there's no rent-free incentive to do the fit out it needs to be instantaneous which actually for the landlord can be of benefit because we're not having to give away incentives and rent-free um but it means that there has to be a lot more active management from the landlord but also it means that you get all of those benefits back 
you get many more businesses, you get to diversify your customer base, you get to bring in lots of business who can't or don't want to or don't need to take a five-year lease. Um, they they wouldn't want to because whilst 93% of our estate is small businesses, 99% of the country's businesses are small businesses, and most of those don't have property, couldn't afford property, they might like to try it. Um, so I think there's massive appeal to landlords and there's a massive future in it when we talk about it we talk about it as a kind of always meanwhile approach which is what free state studios we've worked with adam and team um on some work around some of our big commercial assets and that is this mindset shift from pop-ups is this kind of separate thing but actually all the things that a pop-up does is what we want to do with our estate we want it to be vibrant we want to have a diverse customer base we want to bring in footfall and actually there are many different ways of doing this pop-ups is one of those and then we have to wrap it up with a mix of permanent tenants markets activated public realm lighting music seating all of that which is our opportunity is a big landlord as you, as you were saying up front we have the opportunity to do what a Grosvenor do, what a Cadogan do with their neighbourhoods, but kind of curating citywide um, where we get to take that portfolio approach, which then starts to mitigate a bit of that risk because um, we're not going to have pop-ups everywhere. Yeah, no, of course. I think you're right. I think it is really important. The mix is really important. They do kind of feed each other, the permanent with the short. And I think actually you've both picked up on a really interesting point and you know, when we launched the pop-up business, one of the things that was really important for us and that we kind of really stressed to a lot of our clients is that piece around what is the preparation required? And I think to our point about small businesses, what enables them to do this easily? And, and the biggest thing we do see is, is some of them don't always know how to make those first moves into bricks and mortar because there feels like there's a lot involved with it you know they've got to understand all of the costs associated they've got to work out how to fit it out they've got to work out how to market it they've got to work out how to staff it but I think as you say if we've got units that are plug and play ready that takes away a lot of their kind of responsibility and almost makes that process of transitioning into the unit a lot easier and essentially all they're doing is kind of then putting their brand splash on it um so yeah it's something we felt is really important and I think to your point Tom um, for landlords understanding that that investment pays off because as you say it's an upfront spend but then you're right it probably feeds into this this piece around is it a long-term trend it is if we're investing that money up front to make those boxes available for short-term tenants. So yeah, it's really interesting. So just on the small business piece, because I think we've picked up on it a lot and it's really relevant to you at TFL, both in your long-term leases and your pop-up leases. We talk a lot about um, emerging businesses and local businesses. I know you as TFL are a really big supporter of emerging businesses. So just wanted to ask you both, what are your... What are your favourite businesses you've seen today and why? Oh, Lucy, we can't have favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, am I pretty, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. Or I know, Tommy, you've actually picked up on a lot of really interesting businesses because you mentioned Under Over recently. 
we talk a lot about pivoting businesses. So businesses who have had to adapt their model. And I think um, we reference quite a lot businesses that have done that really well, especially through the pandemic, because it's been more important than ever. Over Under is a really great example. You know, that that um, coffee by day and cocktail by night. But I think over the last year, we've seen a lot of concepts like that, that you kind of look at and then um, and then yeah that you look at and you reference so yeah it'd be great if you guys have got any examples of businesses that have done that or that you like or no favorites we won't use the word favorite anymore Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I think actually sorry Tom I know you were asked that but if I if I could just sort of briefly um, sort of say you're right about over under and actually at Wood Lane because obviously this is where you're working with us Lucy uh, we've had some fantastic um, concepts evolving uh, so Wood Lane, for anyone who doesn't know it down there, is very much with White City an emerging location. And it's about activating that space and making sure that it's an all day offering down there. And we were approached by um, a company called House of Cans, who are absolutely superb and they're based up at Coles Drop Yard. And they um, were wanting to do their, their business, uh, you know, selling the cans, uh, bar, etc. by night. But of course, it's not an all day offering. Uh, and they have actually gone into collaboration uh, with Wildcard Cafe, uh, who they've sort of worked with in the past. So they're actually merging in this uh, one instance at, at Wood Lane uh, to go in to provide this all day offering. So coffee um, and sort of cafe by day turning into the bar. Uh, and um, drinks, etc., in the evening. And they're like over under, actually, their um, fit out will actually flip over um, and turn around. So, very, very clever uh, concept. And that's a classic case of evolving your, your brand and your concept to make it work. And we work very closely with tenants like that to make sure that it, it does work. Uh, and similarly, um, uh, we got Prairie Fire. Uh, who have gone into two of the arches down there. So they came, they started off as a pop-up uh, over at um, Mercato Metropolitano uh, and they were desperate to get their, you know, their first bricks and mortar, their foot on the ground. And so we've worked with them. Now, they didn't actually take uh, a white box unit at all. So we very much worked with them uh, so closely, uh, helping them through all of those early stages, uh, going through the fit-out process. Uh, but they took two of the arches down there and they've got this superb tap room, uh, 16 beers or ciders on tap. And then the burger and the grill and the Michael who owns it's the grill master and he's absolutely <laughs> superb. Um, and, you know, I love working with, with businesses that, you know, have got vision and wanting to go places and uh, it's their passion. Um, and Tom, what about you? What are you kind of what are the businesses you've seen that you kind of really love? I think, as, as Laura said, those ones that when they say all day, they don't just mean they've got avocado on toast on the menu, stretching <laughs> lunch and dinner to, to brunch. Yeah. It means they're truly going from when they're open with kind of coffee and pastries. They might be reinventing themselves through the morning as a co-working space. Then, you know, doing lunch and dinner, maybe community classes and things like that in the evening so I guess I think about not on our estate but because we're not really allowed to have favorites but maybe things like Lyles and Shoreditch where 
you can actually, whilst it's a Michelin-style restaurant, you can go for a pretty cheap, very good coffee in the morning as well, where they're starting to take a chunk of the day that previously was dead space and bring it to life with a quality offer. Um, likewise, think about places like Caravan um, in King's Cross, where they're starting to bring in things like education, classes, courses, as a way to both bring to life their offer and their products for a customer base that actually are interested in, as Laura said, those kind of artisan products, people are interested in where things come from is the kind of rolling off from that whole kind of shop, local shop, small shop, ethical concept. People are interested in where their coffee beans are from. They're also interested in with this kind of at home economy, the ability to try to make a coffee that tastes somewhere near as good as buying it at caravan at home which means people are interested in how to grind their beans how to store their beans how to what temperature what rate to pour <laughs> water on top of beans to make a good coffee but that allows a brand to reach out to a customer base in a whole different way than just selling products um, so those are the kind of businesses that really interested me where they're reinventing all day it's not just about a few more lines on a menu it's about a whole different activity and a whole different use and i think as you said the pivoting and collaborating businesses and brands we love those on our estate i think there's something about the arches that creates something special and i think through the pandemic we've seen uh, berber and q and 58 gin and signature brew doing amazing things to reach out to their local communities um both to help each other out with staffing, with storage, with things like that, but also to support the NHS, to support the kind of industry benevolent funds and things like that, um, where there is this really collaborative nature to small businesses, which is something it then is incumbent on us to feed that and to help that fly um, and to really make the most of that um, where we can and I suppose I don't know if we're allowed to have some favorites kind of thinking about our estates we've got those where to go back to the incubator idea where we have people testing new ideas starting on our estate so examples like um, press so we've already mentioned old street with a peer here but Ed uh, first popped up with press in the uh, former disused toilet block in old street station uh, he wow. just pulled up with a, a bathtub, load of juices on ice, and started a business from there. And now they supply bills, they supply big cafe chains, all growing from one small pop-up in Old Street Station. And you've got examples like that through to examples like Otherworld, um, where they're going from an arch in Haggerston doing immersive virtual reality they're now growing opening second units looking at franchise models globally with kind of venture backing and to bring it um back to something where we've collaborated with with bgp you've got um bourbon q i'm actually quite happy to say they're one of my favorites we went there quite <laughs> recently for like a, a team dinner um but they started in the arches expanded to exit market and they've just done a deal um through bgp for a third restaurant, which I'm very Correct. much looking yeah. forward to go to, to go to Carmel. Yeah. Um, Great location. Be there, there, grown up one, but again, yeah, bang on trend as well out into the neighbourhoods. Um, so 
I suppose in short there are too many to mention (laughs) absolutely I think even just you know I think this is this is the real point about the changing retail landscape having this conversation I'm getting excited us talking about all these different businesses and what they do and I think that I hope depicts real positivity for the direction in which the retail landscape is going you know I don't I don't know. And, and, you know, maybe it's easy to say because maybe we didn't reflect on it quite so pre-COVID because we didn't really have to. But sat here now talking about kind of some of the businesses that we we know and we love and some of the concepts we're seeing emerge that are so different. And you're right. It's there's pivoting, there's collaboration, there's partnership, there's experiential piece, there's immersive there's so many different things and it does just feel like actually the retail landscape is moving in a direction that is really exciting and will be a lot more interesting and it will create conversations like these and people will um you know talk about with their friends and get excited about going to different places and I think um you know we've kind of touched on it but it makes places destinational when people talk about those businesses and they want to go to them we know and we are seeing that they will make the effort to journey there, especially in London. You know, London's a big city and there's lots of different pockets. I know I've lived here for, I mean, only four years. It's still a small amount of time in the great big grand scheme of things. But I don't even feel like I've touched the surface with it. But I know that every time I talk about a potential business that I hear is doing something really exciting, I plan journeying there at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting time. We're actually... Um, working on a really interesting concept at the moment where we've got a property that is it's really large and for any of these businesses to really take it would be actually quite difficult and so what we're looking at doing is uh, I think it's looking it's going to be about four or five brands all going under one roof and operate together and um, in some respects we keep kind of referring to it it's going to turn into almost like a mini department store Um, and whilst we never really want to go in that direction no one wants to recreate the department store we know the struggles the department store are having but equally to have something that people can go in they can see different brands um but equally I think with this it will be far more immersive and experiential I think there's something really exciting in that and essentially that's kind of what we're doing within our schemes as you go in and you've got you're seeing a bit of everything every scheme is like its own kind of department store and you've got a really positive mix of the convenience, the stuff they need every day to the stuff they want to do um, and want to experience. So it's, yeah, I think there's some really positive changes happening. And I think those, those big, those big spaces are definitely some of the most interesting kind of adaptive reuse. Um, So when we speak to Ross Bailey at Appear Here, he'll tell us about a department store in Manhattan uh, came vacant through the lockdown, a, a, group came together and uh turned into a tennis club just put indoor tennis courts throughout so whilst they are large spaces and we do kind of yeah fearful of the decline of the department store what are we going to do with all these huge spaces kind of littering high streets across the country actually the, the potential is massive for those spaces we see things like uh former nightclub before that tea rooms for victoria station now is market halls victoria massively popular pre-pandemic now reopens will be massively popular post-pandemic you've got universities taking over old bhs's you've got yeah debenhams and things closing down but there being 
changed and it's this sense that um retail as, as a as a concept as a word is outdated doesn't cover all the things that we mean by retail so when we m mean this kind of third space the bit of our lives and public realm that isn't home or the office it could be it could be anything and there are people now coming forward with ideas that we wouldn't have thought of five ten years ago and that's brilliant actually Tom that's such an interesting point I've never ever considered that but um your bit around retail is an outdated term I think that's probably really really true we seem to talk a lot more we seem to label things leisure a lot more now and retail kind of comes under that under that bracket um but yeah and it's interesting the piece about department stores our, our national team at the moment is repurposing a lot of the former Debenham sites and to your point I think when we thought about those major businesses disappearing there was a fear element with that but actually um it's as as you said it's turning out to be really incredibly exciting and we have the ability in the property industry now to be incredibly innovative. And some of the things I think we'll see evolving out of those sites over the next couple of years will actually be, we'll look back and, and wonder what we were scared of. It'll be really interesting. Just wanted to pick up really quickly with, with your breadth of experience with small and emerging businesses um, at TFL. I, I really just want to ask you both, what, what would your advice be to any small and emerging businesses making their first move into bricks and mortar? I think first and foremost, obviously, understand your customer base uh, and listen to what it is that they actually want. Because sometimes I guess the heart and passion wants to do one thing, but it's not necessarily exactly what your customer base wants. So yeah. it is definitely listening and understanding that um, and being then flexible uh, because you've got to ensure that your concept can evolve. Uh, not only to sort of future proof your business, but also as sort of locations emerge or concepts emerge. So just make sure that there's always that flexibility there um, you know, for things, the unknowns around the corner. Um, and I'd say probably thirdly, find a landlord that you can really build a close relationship with who really understands what you're trying to do and cares as well I'm not saying there are landlords out there who don't care but if you can you know get to a stage where you're in it together then it really is that partnership so you know their success is our success and equally their concerns should very much be our concerns uh, so if we can make that all work together then it's that would be, you know, my best advice at this moment in time and, and, and the evolution of making sure you've got plenty of, of different strings to your bow, if you like. So if I can give another example of um, a tenant who's going in uh, at the Arches at Wood Lane, it, it, they're called Bergamot and they're a Persian, um, a Persian sort of deli restaurant. Uh, and uh, Shirin, who uh, has a huge Instagram following, a wonderful chef. Um, you know, this is their first bricks and mortar and they're wanting to go into it. Uh, and they are not only obviously looking at doing the deli and the restaurant element of it, but then they want to make it the experiential side. Uh, and this is what we've been evolving with them. So in the evening, actually introducing the supper club. So it becomes, you know, far more experiential and bringing in guest chefs. Uh, and then similarly, uh, they want to 
sell and showcase sort of potteries and wares which are being made from these young Iranian girls back home. And they're going to be bringing them over to actually sell them uh, and showcase them from the unit. So it's, it's just lots of lovely things going on, which make it more than just selling something. It's, it's evolving that concept. And we are 100% with them on that journey. And we, we love what they're trying to do there. Um, and I think that is, is, is right because they know who their customer base is. And I'm absolutely certain they're going to be a great success. That's a really good piece of advice. Find a landlord who really engages you. I think, you know, I can really vouch for the fact working with you on Wood Lane Arches, it's been incredible to see those partnerships evolve. And, you know, we're at the point of hopefully, you know, we'll be fitting out, but already it's really clear to see that there is a really strong partnership there and you've already built a relationship before they've even begun to fit out and begin trading. So I can only imagine what those businesses will be capable of doing once they're in situ with your support. It's going to be, um, I'm really excited to see it. It's going to be great. And Tom, what about you? Advice for, for new emerging businesses? I think firstly, good consensus around getting in touch with us at TFL. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we are a good landlord. I think we'd, we'd accept one of our kind of customer key messages is we are changing. So we're also, we're always looking to improve, but I think we are one of those kind of more supportive partnership driven landlords. I think also given the topic, try it out. Um, the best way to make a start as a business, if it's a consumer facing one is to go out and give it a go. So that's where pop-ups um, come into play that, can be a day or two it can be a couple of hours at your local market just go go give it a go but also that allows you the opportunity to try out different locations within london so go out and just start testing it and take lots and lots of notes get lots of people's details and talk to lots and lots of people and i think that idea of talking to your neighbors I guess a bit like if you're buying a house, you haven't talked to the neighbours about the neighbourhood. If you're looking to open a business, have a talk to the arts unit next door, talk to the restaurant, talk to the cafe. Everyone likes to have a talk within the small business community and they'll they'll tell you a lot and they'll be able to teach you an awful lot as well. So find your community, whether that is kind of geographical, the local community, or a community of interest around your sector or this often hobby or passion that you're looking to turn into a business. Because we know to pick up again on that kind of collaboration, how much collaboration and this kind of sharing economy means to our customers, and how much it's meant before coronavirus, but especially through the pandemic, and how much it's helped them achieve their business, but also social aims. Because a lot of our businesses don't get into business just to shift product. Yes, they want that independence, that freedom. There is that financial drive, but there, there's also something wider that they're wanting to do. And that collaboration with communities can help them um, be it responding to the pandemic or, yeah, or launching new, new products or menu items or new offers. No, I think those are all really, really good points. I think, um, yeah, so to kind of summarise, we're, we're essentially saying, you know, engage with your landlord, know your landlord, build that partnership, know your market and your consumer base. Um, and yeah, engage, engage with the people around you and do everything you can to kind of gain as much knowledge and be collaborative. It's interesting. I think businesses used to work really kind of quite insularly and in silo. And 
I think we're learning and there's definitely a good example of that within Archer's Law is, is that um, speaking to the businesses around you is only it only kind of helps now it's not it's not a competitive thing anymore actually those businesses lend themselves to each other to really make the area of success and one business's success you know leads to another business's success so yeah I know it's really great advice thank you and I guess just as a a final question and bit of a bit of a fun one for you um I guess what would be your your dream or your um if you could visit any if you could see any pop-up uh come to the high street what would be your dream I must visit pop-up do you know that it makes me think back to when I I love traveling I love food I adore cooking and when we were over in Vietnam uh we had a wonderful experience where we went actually out and did some traditional fishing you know where you throw and cast the nets and then pull them back in and then we went back ashore and there was this fabulous chef and he then showed us how to cook using that produce with literally just uh, caught into then Vietnamese dishes and so I think for me it's all about the experience so if I can go somewhere where I can sort of almost source the food or get the taste of food understand how it can then be say for example paired with the wines cook alongside the the expert and then you know buy that produce I mean that'd be absolutely amazing I I think I'd be poor very quickly but (laughs) I'd be there all the time but that that for me I mean that's obviously you know my passion but that for me would be amazing no sounds great and Tom what about you I don't think you're going to shift as much away from probably food and drink. Um, (laughs) But I think other than going to Laura's pop-up, I think about some of the examples recently. So I think about um, Plonk, who are opening an R estate in Haggerston. She said natural wine geared members club. They did a collaboration with the C the C who are moving in next door in Haggerston, but currently um, just off Sloan Square for a one-night pop-up collaboration between the two. Likewise, things like when Noble Rot launched their book at Brat at Clemson's Arch, these kind of really special one-off events that bring together a couple of brands <clears throat> um, that are like-minded, that have the same kind of customer base that will, but will still kind of stretch people's preconceptions. And I think Going back to maybe some of the discussion we had on trends earlier, I think some of those pop-ups that can deliver on several of the different things that brands are looking to deliver. So I think about um, just before the first lockdown, actually, um, Montezuma's Chocolates did a waste not, want not um, shop in Covent Garden. So they wanted to highlight Um, plastic pollution they wanted to raise brand awareness that they'd done all this great work creating much more sustainable packaging but you could also go in there and swap your recycling for chocolate so it's a real win 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 but it showed a business with real purpose showed their purpose highlighted the great work they're doing around sustainability got people really excited because it's chocolate um, (laughs) so delivered on kind of on every front so those ones that aren't just trying the thing that you do in a new place or for a time limited or for uh, on a time limited basis but that can also bring in all the different things that a pop-up can deliver yeah so i can recycle my plastic and get chocolate is that what you're saying tom 
if we rewind amazing. if we rewind to march 2020 just before the lockdown <laughs> i was about to say we're gonna gone. get the whole world now. recycling the whole world will be recycling we'll be sustainably focused be great and i think so those um, those kind of things with um brands like patagonia as well where they've got the kind of very simple slogans around kind of repair as a radical act where you've got these things that really hit home on purpose really hit home on sustainability that are increasingly important to consumers and actually pop-ups can deliver that buzz so you can get the the marketing buzz but you can deliver on your purpose and your brand awareness all in one which i think is is a really um interesting way that pop-ups are going and I think the, the other thing is, obviously, whilst everyone's been in lockdown, everyone's sort of experimented, shall we say, and tried different things. So I think something which is key is it's got to be something that's different. So people have got to sort of leave home and want to go there because it just sounds too good not to go. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that I can do at home. And that's the challenge now. And I think that goes back to what we've been saying all the way. It's the innovation, isn't it? It's the ideas coming through and the buzz and the excitement because people want to get out and they want to go and try these things. So now's the time to to go wild, really, with your imagination and and see where it takes you. Because if ever there's a time to do it, it's now um, when people behind it and want to be there. I think that's really interesting, Laura. You're right, because COVID and lockdown has um, left everyone, like you say, wanting to get out. They're desperate to break free. Um, but actually, yeah, we we probably want to keep that momentum. So hopefully some of this real retail innovation and these, I think, again, the thing I love about pop-ups as well is that kind of get it while you can feeling. So actually they're not there for long. So you've got to, you've got the pressure to get there, see it, do it, um, which is really exciting. And I think to your point about, you know, getting people out and then wanting to go and see things, we've got to keep up the momentum. And I think this pop-up uh, piece will be really integral for doing that. Um, so yeah, just to finish, but thank you both so much for your time. Honestly, it's been so interesting to um, speak to you both and kind of um, you know hear what you have to say on it. But I think um, I'm definitely leaving this conversation kind of feeling really excited about the retail landscape and the direction in which it's moving. And I think the overall feeling is, yeah, pop-ups are pop-ups are here to stay. I certainly hope so. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah, I think that's it. Pop-ups, pop-ups are here to stay, and actually the high street is here to stay. And the, the two the two come together. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really positive message. Thanks both. Really appreciate it.